Bible's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 15 through 17. Again, we're looking at our series, Enemies of the Home. Satan is constantly looking to shoot fiery darts of immorality and discouragement at our homes. He's trying to disrupt the home, and that's never more evident than in our culture today. And as Christians, we want to make sure we keep Satan away, and we have a home as a place of refuge, a place of rest, a place where we can uh, go and, and, and feel loved and love and give love. Amen? Hebrews 12, let's begin together in verse 15. We'll read responsively, so we'll read 15 and 17 together, and I'll read 16 alone. Ready? Here we go. Beginning in verse 15. Here we go. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The title of the sermon this morning is An Unforgiving Spirit. We're looking at these enemies of the home. Again, we looked at indifference last week. We're going to talk about an unforgiving spirit. Bitterness can creep into the heart. An unforgiving spirit can creep into the heart. And it can absolutely wreck a home. It can absolutely wreck a person. And for some of you here this morning, this sermon will be preventative measures. Others of you, you're right in the thick of dealing with a hurt. You're right in the middle of dealing uh, with uh, a bitterness that's crept down in your soul. And the truth is, you don't like coming home in the evening because of the people that you live with. There are folks in your home that you'd just rather not see or spend a whole lot of time with. Or maybe you're hurt over something else that's happened outside of your home and you've become an embittered person and that cancer is now eating away at the fabric of your home. Well, we need to get to the root of that and we need to see what God says about that and how to deal with it. This is a touchy topic, but it's a very important topic. Let's pray this morning. God, help us as we dive into Scripture We look at truths, Lord, we illustrate, Uh, but God, if I convey and you don't convict, then uh, we've come in here and we've really just wasted our time. So Spirit of God, work through me, and Lord, not only work through what I say, but Lord, uh, uh, sit in and and convict the hearts of those that need this message. May we not just listen with our ears, but may we listen with our heart. And Lord, help us to leave here with a plan of action to either stay free of bitterness or to clear our heart from an unforgiving spirit. Lord, bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A little girl recently returned home from school where she had heard the story of Snow White for the first time. As little girls do with great animation, she recounted the story. Finally, she asked her mother if she knew how the story ended. The mother said, of course, Snow White and the prince live happily ever after, to which the child replied, no mother, they got married. (laughs) It's amazing, it's amazing how hard we work to attain a commitment level in a relationship only to wind up fighting feelings of resentment toward that very person. You fall in love with someone and you get married and You have some kids together, and the next thing you know, there is a bitterness, a coldness that can creep into a home. And uh, someone once said, love is blind, and marriage is a real eye-opener. There are many reasons in life that people become bitter 
and unforgiving. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. God knew that bitterness was something that could creep into a marriage, something that could creep into a home. I've seen teenagers bitter at their parents and parents bitter at their teenagers. I've, uh, I've seen uh, moms and dads who collectively uh, don't get along with their kids. And I've seen husbands that uh, walk around with a root of bitterness deep down at their wife and a wife who is so angry over the way a husband has behaved or uh, some of his actions that has ca- driven her to a place of an unforgiven, unforgiving spirit. We put expectations on the behavior of others and when their behavior does not match uh, with what we want from them, we can feel hurt. And that hurt leads to a deeper disappointment. And that disappointment can lead to anger. And that anger can lead to bitterness. Bitterness. When we are not willing to deal with the bitterness, we cultivate an unforgiving spirit. There are even those uh, who will go through a time of believing they have forgiven someone who has hurt them or is hurting them, only to find out they are still holding and harboring bitterness. Bitterness. This morning and this evening, we're going to address this topic. This morning, we're going to look at it in the context of the home, how an unforgiving spirit affects the home. In, on Sunday evenings, we're looking at the life of David, and we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 26. You may remember how that David uh, cut off Saul's skirt there in the cave uh, just a few chapters prior in chapter 24, and uh, he let Saul go, and David stayed in hiding, and David would come back out and seek David's life again, seek David's life again. This evening, we're going to look at how to handle bitter people. That's the title of the sermon this evening, How to Handle Bitter People. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk to the person who is bitter. Tonight, we're going to talk to the people that have to live with the person who is bitter. And This morning, we're going to talk about getting rid of bitterness out of your heart. Tonight, you may know someone who is bitter and wonder how to handle them. David dealt with an embittered man in Saul. and David had done nothing to Saul, but Saul was bitter toward him because of his own sin. And tonight, we're going to talk about how to handle someone who is bitter. I hope you'll come back this evening at 5 o'clock for that service. This morning's sermon, we're looking at uh, an unforgiving spirit. Let's jump right in and look at four thoughts about an unforgiving spirit. Let's identify it. Let's talk about um, uh, its havoc. Uh, let's talk about how to get rid of it. All right, if you're new this morning on the back of your bulletin, you'll find a, a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let me encourage you to take the pen you got on that visitor bag and uh, take notes with us as we go. We'll be putting the outline on the screen to help you out there. Uh, but uh, I encourage you to write down uh, what we discuss, and then you can go back and look at it on an even deeper level uh, later. Let's jump in here. Number one, notice the genesis of bitterness. The genesis of bitterness. Here in Hebrews, we find the author of the book referring to a family where an unforgiving spirit wrecked serious havoc. Uh, We are told not to let an unforgiving spirit defile our hearts and our homes the way that it did Esau's home. Esau's home, totally wrecked over an unforgiving spirit, totally wrecked over a spirit of bitterness. What? uh, Where does an unforgiving spirit Begin. Let's look at two ways in which bitterness and unforgiving spirit creeps into the home. Uh, It can begin with 
Letter A, our own sin. Our own sin. Uh, Hold your place there in Hebrews and turn over with me to Genesis chapter number 25. Genesis 25. Let's look at the story here in the Old Testament uh, that is uh, mentioned or referred back to uh, in Hebrews. All right, We're told that Esau allowed uh, a root of bitterness to defile him. And as it defiled him, it defiled his home. Let's go back to Genesis 25 and see what actually happened here. Genesis 25 and look at verse number 29. Bitterness can come as a result of our own sin. Verse 29 says, Genesis 25, and Jacob sod pottage or was making what many believe to be chili. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Edom means red. That's why we believe the the pottage or uh, the, uh, the, the meal there to have been chilly. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so you know the story here. Jacob and Esau are twin brothers. They were wrestling, even coming out of the womb. And the prophecy had been that the elder would serve the younger. Esau born first, Jacob born second. And Esau grew up to be a man's man. He was a hunter. He went out in the field and hunted. Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He was inside and he worked inside with his mom. And he learned how to cook. And by the way, God ended up using the mama's boy more than he did the man's man. Now Jacob grew up and... Uh, Here he is, Uh, he's a conniver, the word Jacob. The name Jacob means trickster. And sure enough, Jacob was all out to get Esau's birthright. And that was a Hebrew culture, a Hebrew custom. And uh, here uh, Esau comes in from being out in the field. He's been hunting for several days. He's starving. He's hungry. He comes in and Jacob is standing over the pot top of a cauldron. He's stirring his chili. He's got it just right. Uh, maybe he even won a chili uh, cook-off at his local church. Amen? It was a it was a first-class chili. He had the aroma uh, oozing off the pot there, uh, hitting the nostrils of starving Edom. And Edom says to Jay, or rather Esau says to Jacob, he says, give me some of that chili. And Jacob said, I'm an opportunist here. He's hungry and I want his birthright. I tell you what, you give me that birthright and I'll let you have some chili. Now that is not a fair trade. Not at all a fair trade. Um, now, all Esau had to do was get mom and dad involved and he probably would have gotten his chili. But instead, he made a rash decision. And he said, what good is my birthright? Now watch this. Watch this this morning. He took the immaterial and he traded it in for the material. You see what he did there? He took something that was futuristic and he traded it for the present. Uh, the birthright meant nothing until mom and dad were dead and gone. And there was no sight that was not going to happen anytime soon. And so he gave away the future on the altar of the present. He gave into his 
flesh in order, uh, uh, he, he gave up that which belonged to him, which was valuable, in order to satisfy the flesh. Now, uh, it may not have been sin for him to give up his birthright for a bowl of chili, but it sure was foolish. It sure was foolish. And um, uh, personal foolishness and sin lead to a lot of hurt and pain that many turn around and blame on others. We make foolish, rash decisions, and uh, we have to live with the consequences. And going all the way back to the first man and first woman, when we do wrong, instead of owning it and looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, it's me, I made the mistake, we want to deflect, we want to blame our past, uh, we want to blame uh, our circumstances of how we were raised, or we want to blame uh, a situation we were put in at work. Uh, but the truth is, when we do wrong, the very best thing you can do is stand there and own it. Own it. Now listen, I look at times in my life where I have had uh, uh, embittered situations, and uh, not in every case, but can I tell you more often than not, when I'm dealing with bitterness in my soul, it's because of poor, sinful choices that I have made, and I'm having to live with those consequences. Galatians 6 teaches that whatever, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we throw down the seeds of sin... And then months later, when the harvest of, of consequences come in, we want to blame God and we want to blame others. Why am I dealing with this hurt? But we seem to forget that we planted those seeds of sin and now we have to live with the harvest. And bitterness comes as a result of our own sin. Notice letter B. Bitterness can come as a result of others' sin. Others' sin. Years later... Isaac is getting ready to die. He's lost his sight. He's blind. And he wants to give the blessing to his favorite son, Esau. And so he calls Esau in and he says, Listen, my time to die, my appointed time to die is, is, is at hand. And I want to bless you before I go. He says, Son, go out in the field and kill a deer. And bring them in and, and cook them just the way you know I like them. And and bring me that meal, I'm going to enjoy that, and I'll lay my hands on you, and I'll bless you. Well, Isaac's wife overhears this conversation, and she pulls Jacob in and says, uh, hurry, 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 we've got to do something. Your dad's about to bless the wrong son, and, and we know where Jacob learned his manipulative, deceiving ways. He learned them from his mother, and uh, she sent him into the field, and he got a goat and brought that in, and and uh, she prepared it just the same way that uh, Esau would have prepared the deer. And, and Esau, or Jacob says to his mom, listen, I, I, have, I have a soft voice and my brother has a rugged voice. And I have soft arms and my brother is a hairy man. He's a hairy man. And uh, my dad, although he can't see, he's not dumb. He's going to know that the wrong brother has brought the food. And I can't, I can't exactly pull this off. And so Esau was so... Harry, that she took animal skins and laid them on her son Jacob and put it on the back of his neck and sent him in with this food. And uh, uh, Isaac says, uh, who art thou, my son? And he says, well, I'm Esau. And he says, well, you don't sound like Esau. Come over here. And he touches his arms and touches the back of his neck and says, well, you don't sound like Esau, but you sure feel like him. How hairy was Esau? Wow. Animal skins. I mean, that's wow, right? And so he takes and he eats the food and he lays his hands on Jacob thinking he's laying 
his hands on Esau and he blesses him. He blesses him. Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Now, uh, earlier when we looked at the birthright, it was Esau that sinned against himself. But here we see it was Jacob that sinned against Esau. Look with me at Genesis chapter number 27. Look at Genesis 27 and look at verse number 34. Genesis 27, look at verse number 34. Esau comes in from the field. He's gotten the deer. He's killed it. He's prepared it. He brings in the meal for his dad to bless him. And um, he hears from his father that, listen, I'm sorry, son. Uh, Jacob came in and deceived. He, he took your blessing. Look at verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came in with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. There he's pointing the finger for his own mistake. And behold, now... Um, he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? You read on down further and we see that Esau tells himself that when dad is dead and gone, I am going to kill my brother Jacob over what he's done. We all have a way that we expect people to behave. When someone's behavior is out of line and that behavior deeply hurts us, it can shock our senses and cause us to develop an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you were hurt as a child. Maybe you've been hurt as an adult. Maybe you've had, um, uh, maybe you've had sexual immorality take place within your marriage by your spouse. Maybe uh, you've had children who've not lived up to your behavioral expectations. Maybe you've had a parent that has failed you. You, you put a, a behavior uh, expectation on the behavior of those around you, those that are supposed to love you, and when they let you down, it can shock your senses, it can hurt you, and that hurt can lead to a bitterness, that hurt can lead uh, to uh, an unforgiving spirit. We see the genesis of bitterness. Our own sin can bring bitterness within us. Uh, others' sin can bring bitterness uh, within us. And here you are today Day, you've arrived at White Oak Baptist Church and you're hurting on the inside. Uh, you're uh, disappointed in those around you. And this unforgiving uh, spirit is not only hurting your home, it's killing you. Number one, we see the genesis. Number two, notice the growth. The growth of bitterness. The growth of bitterness. When I think about an unforgiving spirit, I think about the oyster. It takes a grain of sand and turns it into a beautiful pearl. Too often, we are just the opposite. We take pearls and turn them into grains of sand. We take pearls and turn them into grains of sand. Bitterness causes us to take good things and ruin them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, back in our main text this morning, says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, notice these next two words, trouble you. Springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Let me give you letter A and a B here. Notice letter A, the emotions we feel. The emotions we feel. An unforgiving, bitter spirit can cause one to feel worthlessness, self-pity, depression, anger, fear, 
revenge. When you're asked about a particular relationship or someone's name comes to mind, do any of these emotions describe the way you feel? Now, and, and, and disclaimer here. If you feel these things, it does not mean you're bitter. Okay, These feelings can come from other sources. Uh, and, and if you're bitter, you're not necessarily going to feel all of these. But if you feel a combination of these, there's a good chance you're dealing with a bitter heart. When someone's name comes up, if you begin to feel worthless and then self-pity and that leads to depression and then you get angry and you're, you're fearful and you seek revenge, especially that last one, revenge, revenge. That's a sign that you might be dealing with a spirit of bitterness. We see the emotions, letter B, notice the error, the error we make, the error we make. One day... Two monks were walking through the countryside. They were on their way to another village to help bring in the crops. As they walked, they noticed an old woman sitting at the edge of a river. and She was upset because there was no bridge, and so she could not get across on her own. The first monk, he kindly offered, he said, Can we carry you across the river? Would that help you? And and she said, oh, thank you so much. I would really appreciate that. And so the two men joined hands, lifting her between them, and, and uh, together they carried her across the river. When they got to the other side, they set her down, and, and they went on their way. After they'd walked another mile or so, the second monk uh, began to complain. He said, look at my clothes. They are filthy from carrying that woman across the river. My back still hurts from lifting her. Uh, I can feel it getting stiff. And the first monk just nodded and smiled. And um, a few a few more miles on the road, the second monk griped again. He said, my back is hurting me so badly. and It's all because we had to carry that silly old woman across the river. I cannot go any further because of this pain. The first monk looked at his partner, now lying on the ground moaning. How have you, have you wondered why I am not complaining, he asked. He said, your back hurts because you were still carrying that woman. But I set her down. Several miles ago. I set her down several miles ago. That is what many of us are like in dealing with our families. We are the second monk who cannot let things go. We hold the pain of the past over our loved one's heads like a club. Or we remind them every once in a while what, when we want to get the upper hand on them of the burden we still carry because of something they did years ago. We just keep beating them up and beating them up and beating them up. Let me say that if you have had someone in your home fail you and they have repented and asked for your apology and made every effort to change, at some point you need to bury it and move on. You need to bury it and move on. Continuing to remind them of an indiscretion from years ago just re-earths that hurt. Just re-earths that hurt. It's like the ringing of a bell. The ringing of a bell. Uh, as long as you continue to pull that rope, that bell is going to ring. And oftentimes we get hold of the bitterness rope to the bitterness bell. And we're yanking on that rope. And the bell, bitterness bell is swinging back and forth. You did this to me. And you did that to me. And you did this to me. And you did that to me. And until you let go of the rope, until you let go of the rope, that bell is going to continue to ring. By the way, 
when you quit letting go of the rope, the bell is still going to continue to ring for a little while. Still going to continue to ring. The feelings don't instantly go away. Uh, you have to let go of the rope, and you have to leave the rope alone, and you have to let that come to a stop, and you can't run back over there when convenient and start yanking down on that rope again, reminding someone of how they hurt you and they wronged you. If you are living in a situation where you are uh, being hurt by someone who perpetually and continually continues to do you wrong and continues to let you down, my friend, you need to get help. You and that, uh, that uh, child of yours or that spouse of yours or that loved one of yours that uh, shares that abode or shares that relationship, that close relationship, you need to get into a counselor's office. You need to get on your knees and pray. You need to ask God to give you deliverance. Listen, uh, uh, someone who's hurt you in the past that's been dealt with and that's done and that's buried, that's one thing. But to live in a situation where you're continued, continually hurt, my friend, step up and get the help you need. But once, uh, once it has been resolved, you need to bury the hatchet. You need to leave it resolved. Do not make the er- uh, error of going back and reliving the hurt. You've heard the phrase, uh, you've heard the phrase that uh, I can for- I can forgive, I just can't forget. How many of you have heard that phrase before? I can forgive, I just ca- I can't forget. And I would say that that statement is both true and false. It is both true and false. Watch this now. When someone does you wrong, you probably, especially if they really did you wrong, you probably will never forget the facts of what they did to you. But you know what you can forget? You can forget the emotions that you felt when it happened. You can forget the emotions. I carry on my left hand, uh, between my, my uh, index finger and my thumb, a scar. A scar from when I was 13 or 14 years old. I had a uh, packet, uh, one of those packets that you... Uh, they, they, you know, they seal up real tight that you need a pair of scissors or a knife to get into. You need a nuclear bomb to open. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and you just can't ever, it, 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 it's like foolproof, right? Or sealed tight. And so um, my, one of my siblings had something they'd gotten at church on a Wednesday night, and, and it was in one of these. And I had a pocket knife in my pocket, and I, I was new to the pocket knife world. I carry a pocket knife with me. And I pulled out my pocket knife, and I opened that up, and I'm trying to cut through the plastic, except... I'm cutting through in the direction of my hand, and it went through the package, and it went deep into my hand. I got the scar right here, and um, um, I pulled out the blade, and being a 14-year-old boy and trying to be tough, I did not tell my parents who were in service this morning. And I Instead, I, I bandaged it up myself, and uh, um, I should, probably should have gotten a couple of stitches, but I didn't. And, um, you know, I have the scar there to remind me not to be careless with a pocket knife that scar lives on my hand but you know what i remember the facts of what happened i do not remember the pain because i've moved on and when you go back and keep revisiting the emotions of somebody that hurt you and you live there by the way that's that self-pity I'm going to continue to waller in self-pity. As I remember uh, what someone did wrong to me, you're making the error of not letting the emotional womb of a past hurt heal. The growth of bitterness. The genesis of bitterness. Number three, notice the grief of bitterness. The grief of bitterness. Scripture is very clear that when we won't let go of a hurt, it does not hurt the person who wronged us, it hurts ourselves. Letter A, notice it defiles the heart. It defiles the heart. Look back with me at Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number 15. Hebrews 12. 
in verse 15. The Bible says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Many be defiled. A rattlesnake, if cornered, um, will sometimes become so angry it will bite itself. It will bite itself. This is exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is. It is a biting of oneself. We think we are harming others in holding these spites and these hates. But the deeper harm is ourselves. The deeper harm is ourselves. Uh, look back with me at Genesis. Genesis 28. I'm hope, hoping you're holding a marker in both Hebrews and Genesis because we're going to continue to bounce back and forth here. Genesis 28. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Bedanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and was gone to Padanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth to be his wife. You know what this marriage was? This was a spite marriage. He looked at what dad told Jacob. Dad told Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. Do not marry a girl of this type. And Esau becomes so embittered at his brother and his father that he went and married this girl, not because he necessarily loved her. He married her out of rebellion. He married her out of spite. He married her to stick it to dad and stick it to the system. And here you see Esau, like that rattlesnake cornered, he's so angry that he's inflicting a womb upon himself, he's marrying the wrong woman. He's marrying for the wrong person, by the wrong reason. By the way, it's not only himself that he hurt. Now you see a ripple effect because now Esau is hurting this girl. This girl should not have ever married him. Uh, he's hurting uh, uh, future generations. And by the way, uh, the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob are still fighting in the Middle East to this very day. Thousands of years later, the ripples in that lake continue to make their way toward the shore. When you won't let go of bitterness, it defiles the heart. Now, uh, from personal experience here, let me say, this is really, really, really easy to preach. It's easy to understand. But when someone has hurt you deeply, it is hard to put into practice. It is hard to put into practice. I can remember times in my life where I have really, really been burned by people. Others have sinned against me, and boy, it is just, it is just sunk my moral ship. And, 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 and it's hard. I, I hear preaching about uh, bitterness, or I get counsel about an unforgiving spirit. And, and I would think back to sermons I had preached prior uh, to uh, these particular uh, emotional wounds happening, and they'd say, uh, you need to let go. And you hear things that have become cliche, like uh, when you uh, hold uh, bitterness in your heart. It's like drinking your own poison. It's like putting yourself in prison uh, while trying to punish the other person. All those cliches, all those things, and I know them to be true in my head, but boy, putting them into practice is hard. It defiles the heart. 
You say, Pastor, what do I do? You must make a conscious choice each day to forgive. We'll get to that more a little later in the sermon. Letter A, it defiles the heart. Letter B, notice, it disappoints the Savior. It disappoints the Savior. Hebrews chapter 12, take your Bibles over to Matthew 18 if you can. Hebrews chapter 12, we see the Bible says that you fail of the grace of God. You fail of the grace of God, meaning God has poured out an immense amount of grace on you in order to save you. He, uh, Listen, you say, well, where did God pour out grace? Uh, the blood of Jesus flowed from His body on the cross. That wasn't just blood dripping off the body of Christ. That was grace dripping off the body of Christ. And because of His death, we are set free. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. The Bible says, But He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. Uh, what did it cost Jesus in order, or rather what did it cost heaven in order to redeem us and forgive us? It cost God not holding a bitter uh, attitude toward us. It cost Him sending Jesus to the earth. It cost Him the life of His only begotten Son. And there was a day I bowed my head sitting on the uh, front pew next to my father at Central Baptist Church on April 8th, 1988, and I asked the grace of God to be poured on my life. I asked my sins to be washed away and forgiven. And guess what? God dismissed the charges against me. He freed me from an eternity in hell. He guaranteed me a home in heaven. The grace of God has been poured all over me. And if you're saved today, the grace of God has been poured all over you. When you won't forgive after you have been forgiven of so much, you fail the grace of God. Oh no, you don't lose your salvation, but you fail the fact that you have been forgiven of an eternity in hell. And now you can't seem to turn around and extend that grace on someone who has wronged you. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, here we have the story of... By the way, Jesus is teaching about children in this chapter. Leading up to uh, 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 Peter's question, he's teaching about not offending children and how to handle children. And then Paul just did what... Or rather, Peter. Paul wasn't around. Peter. Peter just did what Peter does. He just stuck his foot in his mouth and interjected. You know, a question totally out of context. Here's how I see the story going down, all right? Jesus is up there teaching, and Peter's daydreaming. He's just kind of looking around and... He's thinking about what he wants to think about because this question is totally out of context of the passage. And Peter probably is sitting there thinking about someone who really wronged him and he's burning on the inside over that. And He interrupts Jesus and he asks a question. He says, how, how oft does my brother offend me till I'm, I'm free to not forgive him? Till seven times, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And Jesus said, not till seven times, but till 70 times, seven times. He's not saying that you keep count, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, four hundred eighty-nine, four ninety. All right, now I don't have to forgive anymore. That's not the purpose of that statement. Jesus is saying, no matter how many times someone offends you, you just keep on forgiving. And then he proceeds to tell the story. I won't tell the story this morning. You can go back and read it, but it's this idea of you have been forgiven of much, and now you won't forgive of little. Look at verse thirty-two. Matthew 18, verse 32. The Bible says, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. Think about your sin debt being forgiven. Because thou desiredest me. You remember the day you bowed your head and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin debt? He said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. I've saved you from an eternity in hell because you wanted that of me. Look at verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth 
and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now look at verse 35. This is a strong verse. Jesus is looking at His disciples. Jesus is looking at His followers. And He says this, He says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you, you, if ye from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. God said to His disciples, He said, I will deliver you up to tormentors if you do not forgive those who have wronged you. Now, I, as a pastor, have done a lot of counseling in my time. And I had a lot of people sit in my office who were dealing with a hurt in their past. And it had grown into a deep bitterness. And uh, a strong root of bitterness uh, was in them. And it began to defile them. And I noticed that there was some mental health struggles. Okay, again, mental health struggles. Okay, again, disclaimer. Not everyone who battles with mental health has a problem with bitterness. Let me be very clear on that. Can I tell you something? This is my strong opinion from my interpretation of Matthew 18. If you are a born-again believer who's taken full advantage of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, and you won't turn around and forgive others, I believe that torment in verse 35 is mental health. That torment is mental struggles. Maybe the very first thing you ought to do is make sure your heart is free of a bitter spirit. It disappoints the Savior. Just as this king... In this passage, listen, listen up here this morning. Just as this king in this passage forgave the slave or his servant of, of all of this debt, and then the man turns around and won't forgive a man of a much smaller debt, when you won't forgive someone who has wronged you and you take advantage of the grace of God, you disappoint the heart of your Savior. We see it defiles the heart, it disappoints the Savior. Letter C, it destroys families. It destroys families. If we could have an usher help uh, this little one, that would be... Appreciative. Thank you for that. Genesis chapter number 27 in your Bibles. If you would turn over there for me. Genesis 27 and look at verse number 41. The Bible says, And Esau hated Jacob. Hated Jacob. Because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning of my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother also. These words of Esau, her elder son, went, uh, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and, and tarry uh, with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away. Until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him, then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? Rebecca is saying here, I've already lost Esau to bitterness. I should not have to lose you to death. This root of bitterness had defiled Esau and completely split up their home. Jacob would be living in Haran when both his mother and his father died. And uh, when he came home, they were both dead and gone. He was not able to attend the funeral. Why? Because bitterness crept into this family. Bitterness crept into this home. This unforgiving spirit within Esau over what he had done uh, split their family right down the middle. 
I'm not here to begin to pretend that sin, uh, when so, you, a sin has entered your home by another party other than yourself, I'm not here to pretend that uh, that is an easy topic. These are very difficult topics to understand. These are very difficult topics to know uh, how to handle. Very, very choppy waters to know how to navigate. But I know this, God has called you and I to be free of bitterness. God has called you and I to have a spirit of forgiveness towards those who have done us wrong. Tonight, we're going to look at Saul, and we're going to talk about David. How that even though David had forgiven Saul, he kept his distance. Even though David had forgiven Saul, he never trusted Saul the rest of Saul's life. And uh, listen, uh, trust and, uh, I'm going to say this again tonight, but trust and forgiveness are oftentimes conflated into being one. But my friend, forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Trust must be earned by the offending party, but forgiveness cannot be earned. Forgiveness is only given. You, you, cannot, uh, you cannot force that person to earn your trust. But you must choose to forgive those who've done you wrong. We see the genesis of, for, of bitterness, the growth of bitterness, the grief of bitterness. Notice number four. Number four and lastly, notice the grace that replaces bitterness. The grace that replaces bitterness. Letter A, notice a grace that is expedient. A grace that is expedient. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 12 with me. The author of Hebrews, who I believe to be Paul, he writes and says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. There will be people in your life that will not get along with you no matter how hard you try. They are dealing they are dealing with all kinds of inner turmoil. Oftentimes that inner turmoil has nothing to do with you. They're dealing with inner turmoil and they turn and they're nasty toward you. No matter how hard you try, there have been a handful of times as a pastor where I've locked in on someone who is sideways with me, and I have done everything I can to be as gracious and loving to them as possible. I've done everything I can to win their favor and make them a friend. And you know what? Sometimes I succeed, but oftentimes I fail. And it's not from a lack of effort. Sometimes when I'm loving on people that are sideways with me, it just makes them dislike me even that much more. Why? Is it my fault? No. No. I've confessed any possible wrongdoing their direction. I've shown contrition over any possible wrongdoing. I have uh, uh, poured grace and kindness on them. I have been kind and generous their direction. I've done everything I can. They're dealing with a root of bitterness. And you know what I'm not called to do? I'm not called to change them. I'm not called to heal them. I'm not called to bring their bitterness away. Uh, I'm called I'm called to pour grace on them. By the way, you may be dealing with bitterness on the inside. You say, Pastor, how do I get rid of this root of bitterness? You do it by focusing on the grace of God in your life. The best thing you can do if you're a bitter person is each day get out your Bible and read through the crucifixion account in Matthew, the next day in Mark, and then in Luke, and then in John. And as you read the account of Christ dying and raising from the dead, realize that He did it to forgive you of your wrongdoing. 
And as you focus on the grace of God being poured down on you, by the way, get out a piece of paper, get a notebook, and get a pen, and get busy writing down all of the blessings that God has put in your life. Focus on the goodness of God toward you, and realize that He does that in spite of the fact that every day we get up and we sin against God's grace. And He still loves us anyway. And as you focus on God's grace, boy, that grace flows down over that bitterness and it's a healing It's a healing balm for your soul. Remember what Jesus told His disciples about how to pray. He told them to pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those. Or as we forgive our debtors. Right? Uh, The only way you're going to forgive someone who is an emotional debt your direction is if you focus on your own wrongdoing against God. His grace is expedient. Guess what? His grace is the perfect healing Balm. It's the perfect medicine. It's the perfect moral prescription for your hurting heart. A grace that is expedient. Let her be notice. A grace that is exemplary. A grace that is exemplary. Matthew 5, verse 44, I quote often. Uh, if you'd like to turn over there, you can. But Matthew 5, 44 says, Jesus teaching here, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. On a daily basis, if not daily, almost every day day basis, I take time to get by myself. And I bend my knee. And I pray and ask God to forgive me of my sin. I spend a good chunk of time asking God to forgive me of my sin. You listening this morning? I can't hide things from God. God is behind that last veil. We put veils between us and other people. And the closer we get to them, the, the, the deeper into those veils we let them get. Listen, uh, hardly anyone, if anyone, gets in behind that last veil. But God lives there. When I confess my sin to God, I am brutally honest with God over my wrongdoing. I cannot tell you how many times I've been to knee. And as I have confessed my sin, I have felt momentarily depressed. I have felt worthless. And then I turn around right after I confess my sin, and I thank God for my blessings. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Is that God knows how horrible I am, and He still chooses to show grace anyway. Before I got saved, I was the enemy of Christ. Because my sin, or enemy of God... My sin had put Christ on the cross. God saved me, and He adopted me into His family, and He gives me the title of joint heir of Jesus Christ. I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I'm a child of the King. And as a child of the King, I don't always behave like the child of the King. But God never rips that status down from me. Then I turn around and look at other people who've wronged me. And I realize after having spent time on my knees in prayer confessing my sin, that if God can forgive me each and every day, boy, then maybe I ought to show grace to others who've done me wrong. A grace that is expedient, a grace that is exemplary. Let her see a grace that appears excessive. That appears excessive. Turn over to Proverbs 25. I finish with a verse and an illustration. Proverbs 25 and verse 21. I'd like everybody, if you can, to turn over there. Whether or not you're in the habit of turning to the passage I request, I'd like to ask everyone to to please, if you could, for the sake of the message, turn over to Proverbs 25 and look at verse 21 and 22 with me. 
I'll give you all a minute to get there. What I'm preaching this morning is not what uh, your flesh would tell you. It is not what uh, common sense, right, earthly wisdom would tell you. We're going to look at earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom out of James 3 tonight. Uh, It's not what that would tell you. Uh, Listen, uh, it's an eye for an eye world out there. It's a, it's, a, it's a tooth for tooth, life for life, right? It's, it's not, I don't get mad, I get even. It's a vengeance is mine, saith me, type world out there. It's not a, hey, someone's done you wrong, be nice to them, because then the world will label you a doormat. But my friend, Jesus' way just works. Look at Proverbs chapter 25, look at verse 21. If thine enemy, let's read it together, can we do that? Here we go. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Let's read 22. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. The Lord shall reward thee. You say, everybody's going to take advantage of me. Do you trust God to take up your cause? When someone has done you wrong, and you do good back to them, you show them grace, you heap hot coals of fire upon their head. Corrie Ten Boom and her family resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home. They were ultimately discovered and sent to a concentration camp. Corrie barely survived until the end of the war. Her family members died in captivity. Seared by this terrible trial by fire, Corrie's faith in God also survived, and she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe sharing her faith in Christ. On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness, but her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with that visored cap. He was the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities, and where her own sister had been raped and killed. Yet here he was at the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. Thank you for your fine message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised, she loathed, and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man didn't remember her. How could he remember one prisoner amongst thousands? You mentioned Ravensbrook, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips that God has forgiven me. Corey recorded her response in her book. This is what Corey wrote. She said, I stood there. I, whose sin had again and again been forgiven, and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. 
But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the out into the one stretched out to me. She wrote and she said, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, I forgive you. For a long time, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I don't know if you're bitter at yourself, if you're bitter at someone outside of your family, or you're bitter at your own family. My friend, bitterness is a sin against a holy God. Bitterness must be confessed, and grace must replace it. Your home will be destroyed by Satan and his tool of bitterness and unforgiving spirit. It may be time this morning to bend a knee and ask God to give you grace. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Sermons like this, if you're hurting, can be difficult to listen to. But they also can be medicinal. I hope God will work in your heart. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. Not my religion, not my works, just in Christ. I know that I'm going to heaven today not because of who I am or what I've done or what church I've attended. I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus is my Savior. If that's your testimony. Would you just hold your hand up right where you are? I know that I'm on my way to heaven. And you can put those down. How many here today would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Maybe you know that you wouldn't go. You say, Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand a moment ago. Listen, I have no intention of embarrassing anyone, calling anyone out. I would never do that. I've asked everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes so that you could have this privacy at this time. But if you're here today and you do not know you're going to heaven, I would like to pray for you. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, please pray for me. I do not know that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity in heaven with God. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Is there one today? I do not know. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. I don't see any hands. I hope that means everyone here has put their faith and trust in Christ. If you're watching online and you've not done that or you're here today and we're too timid to raise your hand, salvation is very simple. It's very simple. It's a gift purchased by Jesus on the cross. It's a gift that is free to you. All it requires is your faith. Just as you must extend your hand to receive a physical gift, you must extend your faith to receive God's gift of eternal life. If you would like that gift today, all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus. Set aside your works, set aside your religion, and by faith believe in Jesus alone. and He'll give you that gift of eternal life. He lived for you. He died for you. He raised from the dead in order to pay the price for your sin. He wants to save your soul. 
How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there is something in your message today that God used to speak to my heart. I, I am dealing with a bitterness. I'm dealing with a past hurt. Pastor, would you please pray that God would help me to choose grace? Here's my hand. Please pray for me. Pray that God would help me to choose grace. Many, many hands. I pray for you. Please, I beg of you, let go of that bitterness. Let go of that unforgiving spirit. In a moment, we're going to stand. I would like to encourage you, if you have your entire family here today, I would like to encourage you. If you have a home that's healthy and happy, I would like to encourage you to come and kneel with your family. Pray and ask God to put a hedge of protection around your home to keep sin and Satan and bitterness away. If you're here today and you're dealing with an unforgiving spirit or you know someone who's dealing with an unforgiving spirit, why don't you come and bend a knee and ask God to help, help, help grace to be chosen in these difficult times?